Today is November 16th, 2019. We're here with Aaron Enderlin. Good evening, Aaron. Good evening. Well, we were making some jokes about our names uh, yes. on the way up here. Um, you're uh, E-R-I-N. Yeah, spell your last name so I don't get it wrong. E-N-D-E-R-L-I-N. Okay, so starts with the E, ends with the N, starts with the E, ends with the N, right? So I'm Darren Dorton. Same mm-hmm. thing, D and N, D and N. So I told you uh, on the way up, backwards, it's Nurad Nitrod. So at s- <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the jumble and see what yours is backwards. Yeah, it's gonna be a weird one. It is, it is. Um, so you're from Arkansas. Tell me about where you grew up uh, here in the natural state. Yeah, I. Well, I spread myself a little bit all over the middle of the state. I grew up in Little Rock and North Little Rock for a couple of years, then went to Conway for most of my my rearing years, yes. and then spent a couple of years in Hot Springs before I headed over to Nashville. So, what were what were the sounds you were hearing in your early years? I would imagine I'm just going to take a stab. Probably a lot of it was. Uh, maybe family or church music? Was that a lot of the first stuff you were yeah. listening to? You know, my dad's a big music listener, too, and he listens to he listens to more like Robert Cray, James Taylor, lots of other things. He, he tried to get me into the Beatles. Didn't work? Age. Well, he gave me two choices. He gave me a record of the Beatles and a record of the Monkeys, and I picked the Monkeys. And I think <laughs> he's really? still disappointed in me. <laughs> but... <laughs> And then my grandparents listened to a lot of country music, so I grew up listening to my grandpa's record collection and watching TNN and the and the Opry with my grandma. And I mean, like I was that weird kid that I didn't even like rent kids' movies anymore. I was renting like the Patsy Cline biography by the time I was four. And oh, really? The, that that early? Yeah, and a collection of like KT Oslin hits. And. Um, you know, also, I feel like I grew up around a lot of live music in Arkansas and Conway. I lived just not very far from the courthouse. And pretty much every Sunday, if the weather was nice, they'd have people out there playing just similar to old time yeah. bluegrass. There was even a guy who brought a steel guitar down there a lot of the time, which was amazing. Um, so that's similar to here in Mountain View, Court, yeah. s- court, court Square Picking, which is awesome. Yeah. And it's such a cool way to just take it in as a kid because you're just. You're just kind of stuck right in the middle of it, but there's no, like, you don't know any better. There are no boundaries. No one's trying to teach you anything. You're just observing, and you're just picking up on things that you like. Yeah. Yeah, um, I know the same thing you say. You know, my I, I was heavily influenced by my dad's record collection as well, and you can't really help but be that way Yeah. to a certain degree. But then at some point, <clears throat> you start to find your own sound, your own taste, and then you sort of make that left turn somewhere. Where where was that? I mean, yeah, I definitely was influenced by a lot of that and then kind of grew into, I remember, which is funny because I actually went on YouTube today to see if they might have that show on there. But I remember when I was four years old watching an episode of Ralph Emery's Nashville Now show and seeing Reba McIntyre on there. And when I saw her, I don't know, I guess for some reason, a lot of the music, I mean, I was only four or so, but a lot of the music I'd listened to were all guys, or that's what I knew. And when I saw her singing, I was like, girls do this too. I was like, this is what I need for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it was like, over. Yeah, and she was huge then. Yeah. 
I mean, and of course, you had Little Rock out about that time too. That's which right. Living in Little Rock didn't hurt that the doesn't connection. Hurt. <laughs> um, I, I think it took a long time to realize that that was not about the city I lived in. <laughs> well, and that that says a lot about uh, an artist like Reba McIntyre, who did influence a whole generation of girls. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and there were others before her. Oh I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, you. You have to mention Dolly Parton. Oh, God. Dolly right? is... In my opinion, Dolly Parton is the best country music performer of all time. I mean, she's just insane. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, her talent as a writer, a singer, a businesswoman. And then on top of that, her philanthropic... Philanthropic. There we go. Yes. I'm start. I stutter a little bit sometimes when I get nervous, so I have a show tonight. So sorry. Her charitable donations. Yes, that one. <laughs> and you know, a lot of other folks do that. Reba is very into that too. But you know, the fact that she went back to take care of where she came from with Dollywood to even like have that connection and the work she's done with reading and literacy and um, it's just really incredible. And then to find out, you know, she's even like part of the production team that did like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and stuff. I mean, there's just no end to this woman's talents. Multifaceted. And you think about, you know, in the 60s when she came up and she was tied to the hip with Porter Wagner mm -hmm. uh, for all those years and how hard that must have been for her to break away out of that yeah. male-dominated scene and make a stand on her own. Yeah. I mean, she was... Well, there's a new podcast series out on her right now that's very interesting. Oh, yeah? can read a lot about, I mean, her and Reba both, and Loretta, and Kitty Wells, and, um, I mean, like, the list is never ending. I could go on and on. But there's so many women that you see making the first step, whether or not it's, well, no, why shouldn't I be booked as the headliner on this show? Why shouldn't I be able to take care of my own business? Why shouldn't I be able to pick my own songs? You know, all those little pieces add up and make opportunities for folks like me. I mean, when I moved to Nashville even 20 years ago and breaking in as a songwriter, um, there definitely weren't, you know, I wasn't just elbow deep and other girls you know we found each other and hung on tight <laughs> and we're like all right how do we do this yeah <laughs> is there still are you do you still find yourself swimming against the current a little bit in that regard uh i mean i think that i'm just i've always been somebody to i don't know why i always have to do things the hard way but i'm somebody who swims against any current i mean almost it's like there's a little part of my brain that if somebody tells me something even if the real part of me is like that sounds like a good idea that little part of me is like well they told me to do that so i need to do the opposite of that well and in a way that uh you know build your muscles yeah <laughs> to a certain degree going against the current so but, yeah. you, how long have you been in nashville then almost 20 years wow okay i didn't realize it's been that long yeah, does it I, seem that long? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's really crazy. And it was really weird this year. Um, it'll be 20 years next August. So I guess it's like 19 and a half. But this year marked the, I had lived actually longer in Nashville than I did in Arkansas, which is really strange. I mean, I, and I come back a lot and I have family here still. And so, and it's luckily, you know, just four and a half hours or so down the road. But it was really crazy to think about that. And, um, I've had some interesting times over the last year, too, because both of the people 
and several other people who were really instrumental and early in my career, but the two most influential people who got me my start in the music business in Nashville both passed away this last year. Oh, and that kind of marks time, doesn't it? It does. And, um, you know, I don't know. So it's been kind of an emotional year for me, too, and just thinking about all that. And also, I think talking about that and being able to have, you know, been able to put out a new record just recently and been able to play the Grand Ole Opry nine times now and do all these other things that I love so much and looking around me and see, and just so grateful for the opportunities to still be making music this long after. Um, because life doesn't always give you the opportunity to continue. To, I mean, sometimes it doesn't give you the opportunity to chase your dreams in the first place, yeah. but it definitely doesn't always can continue to give you that opportunity. And I'm really grateful for that. So you mentioned two folks that passed away, <clears throat> excuse me, two folks that passed away this year. Uh, that had a big influence on your career. Who were they? And was it somebody who sort of first heard you singing somewhere and kind of grabbed you and said, you got something? Yeah. Um, Reese Fall was doing a talk at ASCAP, which is a performance rights organization, and they would do different workshops and things. And I was always just trying to soak up whatever I could. And she was doing a kind of workshop talk on her story and also on artist development, which is where she, what she worked in. And I asked her afterwards if I could sing her some songs and she let me get together with her and play her some songs that were probably like super dark and terrifying. And she was like, oh, I don't know about you, but, but she gave me some pointers on things that she thought would be really interesting to try with my voice that really changed the way I sang completely and, you know, said to keep in touch and, she ended up actually coming out to talk. I was going to school at Middle Tennessee State University, and she talked to one of my classes, and the teacher convinced her to let me do another song for her and pretend like we were having a meeting in front of the whole class. And I played her a song called Monday Morning Church that I'd written. And uh, she said, I want you to meet my boss. You want me to meet my, the publisher that I work for. So she took me to meet with Jeff Carlton, and he liked the song so much. They were kind of in a, in a process of closing down the publishing company that they were working for, and he was opening his own company. Um, but he believed in the song and everything so much, he ended up taking money out of his own pocket to record five demos uh, in the studio, which is where you get to go in and basically play with all the same cats that play on, like, every record you've yeah, ever listened to. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and they play your songs. <laughs> and then started pitching it and um, ended up getting it, cu getting it cut on Alan Jackson and Patty Loveless. And it was a single, and I was able to go straight from college to go straight into writing full-time because of that. And Now, did you get a contract as a staff writer? I did, and I also got a contract on RCA Records. And um, so Reese and him both, I mean, that was, it was huge. And they both gave me such amazing direction and also branded me in the town. Jeff had a great way of being able to make it bigger than a song. Hmm. I mean, I know that I still walk into a room today and the reputation I have in part, I have to chuckle a little bit inside because I know part of it is Jeff because he was so good at doing that. Yeah. Um, he sold a writer and a body of work, a style of writing, not just a song. And um, I learned so much from both of them. Reese actually ended up being my neighbor the last five years, which was really cool. And uh, well, that's nice. Now, you don't always hear, you know, those kind of. In the music business, 
you don't always develop those long-term relationships. Yeah. Uh, that's, I don't want to say it's unusual, not heard of, uh, but it, it is a little unusual mm -hmm. uh, because it, it goes fast. It does, and a lot of people, they yeah. end up changing where they're working, too. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people shuffle from one publishing company to another or just get involved with a lot of yeah. a lot of different changes going on. And for folks who are hearing this, you know, a young girl or uh, a young person um, wondering how that happens, I mean, that's that's a prime example of how that kind of stuff happens. You meet a person mm -hmm. who has a connection somewhere, who has an ear for what you're doing, yeah. And they help shepherd you in the right direction. Yeah. But, you, of course, you've got to have good material. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of things that folks can do to prepare. Another guy that we lost this last year was Ralph Murphy, and he worked at ASCAP for a long time, and I worked with him. And he actually had a thing that he turned into a, a book later that people can publish, and I would really encourage people, too, if they're interested in writing. But he had a blog at the time called Murphy's Law. Hmm or Murphy's Laws, and it was about all about songwriting. It would kind of have just different thoughts on particular things. It would have challenges on different things, hmm. like, you know, try to write this kind of song or do this or that. And um, I remember religiously, like, printing it out in the school library and, like, and marking it all up and highlighting things and stuff. And um, there's so many resources out there now too that is really cool as a young writer you can you know hop on amazon or google and find some really great materials of people that like the murphy's law book or different things that talk about songwriting talk about ideas for it and talk about the music business too to kind of give you an idea of how different things work um but then you know nashville is such a great community because they are very open and and there's another organization called NSAI, the Nashville Songwriters Association International, that they actually, they have some branches here in, in Arkansas, too, that are really great and very active. Um, but in Nashville, they have the main office there, and they do all kinds of stuff that you can get involved with, um, from workshops and different things you learn on, to being able to meet other writers who are kind of just moving there like you are, that you could meet collaborators and people that... Um, you could get together and woodshed on and you know I read a lot of a lot of different things before I moved to Nashville and one of them was advice from Harlan Howard saying write 100 songs and throw them away yeah and that was really interesting to me too because I think going through the process itself is really helpful to to learn and internalize and just work those muscles but then also it kind of helps you to to understand that when you're first starting out, don't worry too much about having to get it perfect every time or the first time. To, you know, write a song and take the best parts of it or the parts you learn or something cool you found out going through that process and take it to the next song you're going to write. I was going to say, how many tunes that you've never finished or parts of songs end up somewhere else? Yeah. It happens I'm, all the time, I'm sure. For sure. And I think, I do think that that is one stumbling block that I've found um, a quite a few new writers get hung up on is, you know, like, well, I've written this 10 songs and, you know, I got to make sure they're each exactly perfect and I got to word over them and spend all this time. Well, you know, sometimes you do, there's a song that you know just isn't right. Like there was a song on um, the last record that I put out that my co-writer and I wrote it and I loved it, but she kept saying the second verse is not right. 
And it ended up taking us a year to to end up getting it and changing it. And after we finally did, I was like, you're 100% right. This was not, this is way better. This makes this song complete. So you're going to have those moments, but you just kind of have to follow your gut as to where that is. And especially when you're just starting out, you know, don't, don't let that freak you out. Don't let it stifle you. And, you know, maybe even it's just like, well, there's something really cool about this song. I don't feel like it's right, but I'm just going to put it over here. And I'm going to go write 20 more songs before I even look at it again. And then something will spark in your brain uh, from something else. Yeah. And you'll find that missing piece mm-hmm. that will complete it. I want to ask you uh, quickly <clears throat> before we wrap up, uh, you mentioned the tune uh, Monday Morning Church. Um, tell us about a couple other ones that folks probably have heard but don't know that you're necessarily yeah. associated with. Um. Well, I had that song, and then I, I had a song called Not Your Cross to Bear that Randy Travis recorded right after that. And then uh, was, I've been lucky enough to have songs kept like Last Call by Leanne Womack, You Don't Know Jack by Luke Bryan. Uh, just had a song out last year by Bill Anderson, Waffle House Christmas, that I'm really proud of. He's one of my favorite writers. And uh, got a Reba cut this year. So that was a very full circle moment. Yeah, right. The last couple of years have been pretty insane. <laughs> now, I can imagine some of those folks who cut those, you may or may not get a chance to meet them. Uh, probably not everybody. You know, I mean, you may cross paths or have, you know, however that works. <clears throat> when when they take the song, or and I don't want you to necessarily name any, but are there times where you're like, man, y'all didn't get that right? Or you know, that's better than what I thought I know it was. Quite a few writers who feel that way. I don't ever feel that way because to me, it's just so cool to think about something that. Well, first of all, usually I have a collaborator on a song. Usually I'm not the only writer on there, so there's somebody else's brains already on that anyway. But then somebody else takes something that came out of my brain that I saw this movie, I saw this uh, chain of events happening, and then I get to see how they interpret it, and that's so cool to me. I think that would be kind of kind of flattering. Oh, definitely it is. And I just find it interesting and cool. Yeah. And I I mean, I guess also maybe I've just been really lucky, but I've never had a song recorded that I wasn't just over the moon to listen to. I'll tell you, one of my very favorite cuts I've ever gotten, I wrote with Rory Feek, and he and his wife, Joey, Rory, Joey and Rory, they cut it. It's called His and Hers, and it was title track on one of their records. And uh, I remember they asked me to come over to the studio and listen, and I was just crying sitting there. I mean, because the steel guitar and everything, it's so gorgeous. And it's, I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, you talk to an artist or a songwriter or anything, and you kind of look at, like, well, what's your experience? Or it's kind of your thing. But really, we're all just little bitty pieces in this tapestry, you know, as it comes to life. I mean, from some idea that was in your head to a guitar chord that you played to a dem- at a demo session, a steel player being like, oh, this is the lick. This is the lick that's right here. Or a drummer being like, well, you know what? No, this needs a, sh- a, a train beat or something, you know, switching things up and then bringing that music to life. And then you find you got a, a producer, you got an artist that are taking that then even another level. So... It's just so cool because it's like this whole snowball of creativity and awesome minds and just 
cool music stuff coming that's cool together. Way, that's a cool way of putting it, a snowball of creativity. Yeah. <laughs> that's well said. All right, let's wrap this up. Tell me a tune or two uh, that you're uh, going to play tonight uh, that you're just really enjoying playing and why. Yeah. Um, well, I just put out a new record on November 1st. So that's kind of my fresh baked cookies right now. And, Hot out uh, of the oven. Yeah. And so I love it. I, there's a song on there called Run Baby Run that I just really love to play. I love the the feel of it and the melody of it. And there's another song on there called Tonight I Don't Give a Damn that um, I actually got to play it on the on the Opry uh, at the Ryman on the first when the album came out. And it's been a really, really cool song for me. It's already doing really well on Spotify and stuff, which is really cool to, you know, go out and play rooms I've never played before and have people singing along with the song. But another thing is that song, I, when I was, was writing it, I was just thinking in the first line, well, if I was walking into a bar and I felt like this, what song would I put on the jukebox? And I was thinking Gene Watson, to Farewell Party. And uh, his daughter actually saw the video for it on CMT and recorded it and played it for him. And uh, Gene was actually on the Opry with me on the first, so I got to play it for him there at the Ryman. And, I mean, that's crazy. What a neat story. It's so cool. Yeah. what a neat story well look Aaron I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat today Uh, it was short notice but it was fun to meet you and just continued, continued success thank you